So early on this year, um, in our look at the book of Acts, we saw the thesis or theme verse of this entire uh, book, and it was, uh, uh, it was something that Jesus uh, said to a small group of men and women as he's describing what's going to happen, and it's found in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, and, and, it, and he says this, he says, but you will receive power. Uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And what we have seen this year as we've been journeying through Acts is exactly what Jesus said come to life. Um, this small group of men and women will become filled with the Holy Spirit, and through His leading um, and by His power, um, they've spread this message of who Jesus is and what he has done. We call this the good news or the gospel throughout most of the known world. And the last several weeks, we've been following this small group of, of people led by this man named Paul that continues to spread this good news everywhere they went. And, and last week, we talked about, as we wrapped up, we said that now Paul is on his third missionary journey. And, and, and this chapter that we're going to read today, sometimes when you read a narrative like Acts is, we can miss that um, a small section that we read or a chapter that we read actually covers a significant period of time. And the chapter we're going to look at today actually covers about two years. In fact, a little more than, than two years. And, and what's intriguing about this is what Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit, chooses to record in this chapter. And I'm certain that so much more happened in the two years that Paul is in Ephesus. I mean, just think about your own life. Like if you, over the last two years, if you were asked to write down in just a few paragraphs your life encapsulated in two years, like what would you write? Like what would you write? But we know that when it comes to Scripture that there's something moving behind that. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, he says, all Scripture, everything that we read in, in the Bible, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. And essentially what Paul is saying is God determines what is written and he has a purpose for why it's there. And so the question becomes, today as we look through this chapter, what does God want us to see? And I think what we see as we read through these different events that Luke records, there's this common thread that kind of weaves through each of them. It's this message that says, Jesus is greater than. Visual aid. So we're going to see this morning in each of these events how Jesus is greater than. So let's dig in. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. If you um, are new with us this morning. We have Acts journals that we've been using. Um, there, there should be one in the seat in front of you. you. If you don't have one of these, you're welcome to have it as our gift. Just take it with you. Um, and you can take some notes in this as well if you want to. It's kind of a, a journal that you can follow along with. We're going to be on page 110 this morning. Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples... And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? 
they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was yet to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. And just like we saw last week, where Paul goes into this enormous city of Corinth, and he just happens to come across Aquila and Priscilla, who happen to be tent makers, and you know, we know, we know that's not coincidental, right? The Holy Spirit was leading him. Same thing here. Go into a city similarly sized to Corinth. Ephesus is a huge city, and he just happens to come across this group of disciples of John the Baptist who have not yet heard the complete story of who Jesus is. And Paul fills them in on what Jesus has done. And now the fact that the Holy Spirit is available. And what we see here is the first um, way that Jesus is greater, and it's this. Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. And you're like, wow, that's really insightful. Like, I'm glad I came this morning for this. You may be sitting here and thinking, oh, wow, that's, that's awesome. You know, because we don't, we don't sing songs to John the Baptist. We don't pray to John the Baptist. We don't hear a whole lot of messages about John the Baptist. And we certainly do not give our life to John the Baptist. So I think we can check this one off our list, right? But understand, for them, it's different. Like, for them, it was different. Like, John the Baptist had a huge following. Like, John the Baptist had a larger following than Jesus did during Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, many, many, many people followed John the Baptist. And many thought that he was even greater than Elijah, like the, the, one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. They, they believed that John the Baptist was greater. But Paul's message to this group is, you have to understand who John the Baptist was. John was simply a messenger that pointed people to Jesus. That was his role. So, so let me rephrase this into something that may be a little more relevant to our context here this morning. It's this, that Jesus is greater than our heroes. Jesus is greater than our heroes. You know, culturally, we are hero worshipers. I mean, think about it. You know, frequently we put people on a pedestal and, and we live in the age of the cult of personality. We, we follow others on social media and sometimes we determine our worth by the number of followers that we have. We have celebrities, we have sports goats, we have favorite musicians, TikTok sensations, politicians, people that we listen to and someone sometimes we try to be like and even have hold influence over us. But let's be honest, we have this problem or this challenge in the church as well. It's, this isn't new. Uh, Paul raises a concern with the church that we talked about last week in Corinth. He writes his first letter to them and addresses something that was super concerning to him. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11-13, through 13, and then verse 17. He says this, for, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, this is one of the leaders in the Corinthian church, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul. 
Or I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas, which is another name for Peter. Or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. In other words, the reason that Jesus is sent me, the reason the Holy Spirit has me here is I am here to make Jesus famous, to make Jesus primary, for you to understand why Jesus came. It's all about him. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Let me suggest a couple of ways that I think that we see this in the church today. Here's the first way. I think sometimes when we read different stories of people in the Bible, and this can be our temptation even when we're reading through the book of Acts, that we can elevate people to super spiritual levels. Like, we can begin to even, like, adore them. Need I say even worship them? Men like Peter and Paul or David or all of these different people that we realize when in reality, they are simply people being used by God. It's God, and it's only God working in them and through them. And here's the danger when we elevate somebody that we read about in Scripture to a position that they never were intended to hold. Our attention, our affection gets drawn to them rather than to Jesus. And what happens is we, be, they, we begin to act almost like they did in Corinth. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Or worse, we can start to see them as some sort of conduit through which we have a relationship with God. But because of what Jesus has done, our relationship is directly with God and not through some third party. I mean, I mean, think about it this way. How weird would it have been, especially for my wife, like when we started dating, like if all of my connection with her was through her best friend. Like, hey, you know, every time I talk to her, I just talk to her best friend and tell her to relay. When I went out with a date, I went out with a date with her best friend and then, you know, she would just kind of transfer the information onto my wife. Like, how long would that relationship have happened? And yet, sometimes, that's kind of how we treat our relationship with God. Like, we just want to go through a third party. But, but there's another danger in this, in, in this as well, and that is the fact that we can see the men and women in Scripture, and we can put them in a place, like we can elevate them to a status that they never really intended to hold, they were never designed to hold. And then when God calls us to do something similar, we're like, we can never, we can never be like them. And, and that's true. You by yourself could never be like them, but you, powered by the Holy Spirit, definitely could do whatever God is calling you to do. And sometimes we can use that as a reason or excuse not to follow what God is leading us to do. Here, here's a second, time, second way I think that we see this today is sometimes we can elevate pastors, priests, church leaders, those who write books or speak at conferences, and we, we begin to make them more than they are, who they really are, which is simply this. All they are, all, 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 all it is, is just messengers. We're just messengers of God, like who are supposed to point people to Jesus. Like that's our role, is to continue to point people to the person of Jesus, and here's the danger. 
Ultimately, they're going to disappoint. Ultimately, we're going to fail in some way. Fail you in some way. And, and, and when that happens, when we put like those people, the, the, the leader, church leaders or, or favorite authors or music, whatever that is, we put them in the place that only Jesus is supposed to hold and they fail, it rocks our faith because we placed our faith in the wrong place. And, and this is not an excuse for bad behavior. This does not excuse the fact that, that there is bad behavior among church leaders, that there's been some horrible things that have been done in the name of Jesus. It's not to excuse any of that stuff. Don't hear that. But when we start to put our faith in the wrong place, we can end up disappointed. Because Jesus is greater. Verse 8, and he entered the synagogue and for, the, for three months spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, this was just another way that uh, people would refer to Jesus' followers. Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so, you know, last week we saw that this same synagogue, the same group of people Paul goes to, they want to hear more, they want him to stay, and Paul says, nope, I can't, I got to go on. And then we see here that Paul does come back, and he spends three months with them, and he talks to them about Jesus. But eventually there are a few people who step in, and, and they, they start to badmouth, not just Paul, not just Jesus, but even those who are following him. And so just Paul, like, moves on, like we've seen him do so many different times, and he moves into basically a lecture hall of this guy named Tyrannus. Like, he just, like, He's got this space and he's got this, this platform and he begins to tell more people about Jesus and more people come to Jesus. In fact, it says that that area of Asia, Asia Minor, many people hear about Jesus. In fact, when you read in Revelation that John writes and he mentions the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation, these are the same churches in this region that are mentioned in Revelation that come out of this time where Paul is spreading the good news. And here we see the second way that Jesus is greater, and that's Jesus is greater than our opposition. We talked about this a little last week, that you and I have no control how somebody responds to the message of Jesus. Our role in this is simply to share, to share who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and the difference that that has made in our life, We're to share our story. And this is something that God has commanded us to do. It's not something that he suggested that we do like a pretty please that you do it. It's like something that we've been told that we are supposed to do as his followers. But And one of the main reasons I think that we don't tell others about Jesus is because we fear rejection. We do. We fear rejection. What people might think about us or, or what they may say to us or what they may say about us. And, and even though we don't see the kind of opposition that we've seen in Acts where people are in prison and killed for the faith or even what people, Christians in, in the world today in some places still feel where they're, where they're imprisoned and tortured and killed because of their belief in Jesus, we still experience opposition. Knowing, knowing that Jesus is greater than any opposition we may face and putting our trust in him gives us the courage and the strength to share in spite of the potential rejection or opposition that we can face. That's what Jesus does. 
for us. And knowing and trusting that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say to somebody. Trusting that the Spirit is the one, who's the one who, who is the one who prompts us and then speaks through us to those that we share should give us the confidence to know that we are able to share with anyone who will listen. Anyone that we come across. That we can share this good news of who Jesus is, what he's done, and the impact it has on our life. And the coolest thing is this, and Jesus promises this when he commands us as his followers to, to, to make disciples of people. He says that he's going to be with us. And he is. He's with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is greater. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away, away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And I just want to stop there and, and just like, when I read stuff like this, I'm like, how? <laughs> how did they know this? Like, how did they discover this? Like, was somebody that had some kind of an ailment that like, was cleaning up after Paul and picked it up and then they were healed and like, whoa, there's some magic in this. Like, there's some power in this. I, I don't know. I just digress. Then, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And I love the saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And then, and then Luke gives us a specific example of how this went so wrong. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. They, they were trying to exercise a demon or an evil spirit based upon Paul's relationship with Jesus. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all of the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. They came and just taught, you know, they just shared what they had been doing. And, an, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of all of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's, that's a drachma. That's a day's wages. That's 150 years worth of wages. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. There here is a group of people who are trying to have the power of God that we have seen demonstrated through Paul without the actual connection or relationship with God through Jesus. They are trying to face an enemy alone. And this is the third way that we see Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the powers of this world. Jesus is greater than the powers of this world. Paul will write to this church this church that he's in in Ephesus and, and, and talk about the fact that there is an enemy. There is an enemy that we face. And, and he writes in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, for our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, the battle that we fight is not against each other. I think that's so important that we understand. It's not against other people. 
battle is a spiritual battle. There's an enemy that's at war with us that wants to destroy all the things that God has made. But we have this really cool assurance that we find in 1 John 4, 4b. For, for he who is in you, that's, that would be the Holy Spirit, for he is, who is in you is greater than he that is in the world, the enemy. The message of the gospel is that Jesus has conquered sin. That's the message of the gospel, that, that Jesus has conquered sin. But, but what the evil one does, what Satan does, is continually tries to leverage sin against us. With sin, what he does is he tries to deceive us to believe that we can find fulfillment outside of what God has designed for us and when we fall for that lie, he accuses us so that we are plagued by guilt and shame. Or what he does is this. He continually reminds us of who we used to be before we found Jesus. Like all of the things that we did wrong. Like all the people who have hurt us or who we have hurt. Or, or, or the many ways that we failed. Like that's what he continues to remind us of. Because that's who Satan is. He is the accuser. And he is the deceiver. And he does both, does both of those. But the message of the gospel is that by his death, Jesus has completely paid the price for our sin. Once and for all. All of our sin. The sins of our past, the sins of our present, and the sins that we will commit in the future. And there is no longer condemnation for our sin for those who have said yes to Jesus. Who have made him our Savior and Lord. But not only this, but then he gives us his Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit does is it continues to point us to Jesus and the way to live. Like continuing reminding us about who Jesus is and how we are supposed to live as we were originally designed to live. And this is what we see happening here. This is exactly what we see happening here with this group of people who have become believers in Jesus. They've found Jesus, they found that Jesus is truly greater than all of this other stuff. And what do they do in response? They burn the books. Like they give all this stuff up because they realize, I mean, Paul never, you don't see a message from Paul to say, hey, bring your books, we're going to have a book burning. They realize that all of this stuff that they've invested in, all these things that they put their hope in are empty and meaningless compared to who Jesus is. And when we seek solutions to what ails the world apart from who Jesus is and what he has done, these solutions will come up short. Hear me on that. When we try to solve problems that have been caused by sin with solutions that aren't a part of who Jesus is, we will always come up short. When we fight what is in reality a spiritual battle with weapons that aren't formed by God, or we don't even include God in the fight, we end up trying to fight alone, and we will fail. Because Jesus is greater. Verse 21. Now after these events, Paul, re Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Eurasus, 
he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And it's like Paul just kind of does this little aside and just kind of gives us some insight into what the Spirit is doing in Paul's life, like what's coming next. And then he continues on in this narrative, verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These, the craftsmen, he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of this great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Ephesus, like I said last week, Ephesus was considered kind of the center of worship for this area in Asia Minor. And the primary temple that they worshipped, the primary, the primary deity that they worshipped was this goddess uh, uh, Artemis. And in fact, the temple that they built in Ephesus was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And pilgrims from all across that region and even other parts of the world would come to worship Artemis there. However, as we see here, the message of the gospel is having such an impact what, what the Holy Spirit is doing is having such an impact, it is wrecking the idol market. <laughs> I mean, it's wrecking it. And not only just affecting the, the idol market, but it's also affecting, beginning to affect temple worship of Artemis. I mean, how did this happen? How did it get to this place? I mean, did, did, did Paul and the leaders organize protests to the temple of Artemis, or did they try and sway the influence of the political powers to create laws to ban the worship of Artemis or making of idols? Did they even speak badly about Artemis or those who worshipped her? No. It happened just like it was supposed to happen. One life at a time transformed by the message of the gospel and the person of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, verse 28. When they heard this, they were outraged, this group of craftsmen and workmen. They were outraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with this Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go to the crowd, go in the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, these are kind of the, 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 the pagan temple leaders, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Get this. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who was 
whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these, cannot, these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. Like I said, they didn't speak badly about Artemis. Therefore, if therefore Demetrius and the others craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today. Since there is no cause we can give to justify this commotion, and when they heard these things, he dismissed the assembly. You, you see, this, this meeting of craftsmen erupts into this chaos. And they grab a couple of Jesus followers that they just find kind of in that area. And they head to the theater, which seats about 25,000 people. And most of the people who come, they just hear the noise and they're excited by the noise, I guess. And they just grab, they have no idea why they're even there. And this poor guy, Alexander, like just randomly gets assigned to go on stage to try to quiet the crowd. And, and he gets jeered basically for two hours. And the town clerk, and, and today this, like this idea of a town clerk is like when we think of it, we kind of think of a clerical position. Like this was a really powerful position. Like this was, this, this position in the city of Ephesus was kind of the voice of the city to Rome. And what the town clerk would do is record, would just take notes of everything that was happening in the city and then send them off to Rome. And so this person was important and he gets up and finally quiets a crowd. And basically, in kind of a veiled threat, he basically says, look, you disperse or I'm going to write you up for rioting, which would have had some significant consequences. But like I said, Paul has never bashed the worship of Artemis. He just continued to point people to the better way, and this is the final way that we see Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than our idols. Je Jesus is greater than our idols. We see, in just a few decades, the fears of these craftsmen and workmen would be realized, because just in a just in about a hundred years, the the temple of Artemis would be basically empty, and we know that because of. Roman history, there would be some writings that would happen between a governor and, and another Roman that would talk about the fact that this temple is now empty because so many people are now following Jesus. Idols are more. Idols are more than small images. They're more than, than large statues. They're, they're more than that. It's, it's really anything or anyone that we put in place of God the, the place that God is intended to hold in our lives. That's what an idol is. And, and we still have idols in our lives today. What we do is we try to find in people and things what we are only supposed to find in the person of Jesus. We, 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 in, with people and things, we 
They They just cannot carry the weight of our hope. Only Jesus can carry the weight of our hope. People and things can never rescue us from our condition, from our sin. Only Jesus can do that. And people and things will disappoint us and they will, they will fail us. They will break. They're temporary. But Jesus is, never fails. He will never fade. He will never leave us. He is eternal. And anytime we put our hope in someone or something other than Jesus, we're going to be disappointed. Anytime we try and find fulfillment in someone or something other than Jesus, we're going to find ourselves empty. Anytime someone or something takes over priority in our lives, we will find ourselves chasing the wind. See, Jesus is greater than our idols. And Jesus is greater than our heroes, those that we sometimes elevate to places that we should never elevate in the first place. And Jesus is greater than any kind of opposition or challenge that we may face. And Jesus is greater than the enemy who seeks to destroy us. And Jesus is greater than the people and things we try to find our ultimate fulfillment in. Jesus is greater. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this promise and this hope that we have in Jesus. And and God, I just pray this morning that we would hear this, we would let this soak in, that this would become our reality, um, that these won't be just words that we hear, but these, that, that we would be able to lean in and trust who you are, what you've done for us. And Father, I would pray specifically for anybody who's just really like struggling with this right now, God, and wrestling with this and I I pray Father that you would meet them exactly where they're at that you would speak um, to them through your spirit God this morning and, and move them closer to you and Father it's in Jesus name I pray these things amen